This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah 29, 4, 5, and 7. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Matthew 5, 9. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Mark 4, 35-40 Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Hey, it's Jonathan, and welcome to Epiphany, an audio devotional for all of us on the way to wisdom. If you were alive and living in the Roman Empire during the years of 27 BC to 180 AD, and especially if you were a part of the upper class, you would have described that time as Pax Romana. That 200-year period has become to known as the era of peace, unprecedented in the ancient world. But peace may be a little misleading. Pax Romana was described as peace created by the Roman sword. Because if you weren't a part of the upper echelon of Roman society and you were alive during that time, chances are you found yourself being subjugated, conquered, and oppressed all the way from Northern Africa to the Middle East to Northern Europe. The Roman Empire had conquered the world economically, politically, and militarily, and imposed its will unchallenged, creating the facade of peace or Pax Romana. Now this would later be mimicked and imitated by other empires. Centuries later, it wasn't the Roman legions, but the British Navy that created Pax Britannica, or peace in a colonial empire that they said the sun would never set on. Again, years later, Pax Americana describes the period of 1945 till about now when American politics economic and military might policed the world affairs. And now we look at the beginning of what some call Pax Sinica, or Pax created by China. Multiple empires, different story, same song. Peace created by the sword.
Now, while they may have perfected the branding, the Romans definitely didn't invent empire. Centuries earlier, it was Babylon that ruled the day, so much so that they set the playbook for what an empire could and should do to conquer the world. And this dominated the imagination of the biblical authors who would use Babylon as the leading metaphor for any other nation or nation state that would try to rework the world into its own image. And Babylon had just as much violence and oppression as Rome, but theirs was rooted in their Genesis story, the story of their origins of the universe. This was known as the Enuma Elish. The Enuma Elish was the creation narrative of Babylon, and it described two mega-gods that were rivals that were created out of the violent, turbulent seas and waters. They separated and became into conflict. And then they decided to make little gods. These little gods became annoying and wouldn't let them sleep. So they decided to wipe them out. To wipe them out, they created Marduk, who would be their champion. But Marduk decides to betray them, leads the little gods in an all-out war against the mega-gods, destroys them, or captures them. And out of the destroyed one, he creates the earth. Out of the bloodied, dismembered parts of the mega-god, the earth is created. And because now Murdoch is in charge of the earth, he creates a species to be his servants. You guessed it, humans. We're the lucky servants. Marduk creates humanity to enslave them to his will. It's in this context that Jeremiah then writes to the people of God and answers the question of how are they supposed to live in the midst of empire? How are they, as the subjugated and oppressed captives of Babylon, supposed to live in a world where the story that governs is the Enuma Elish, one of blood and violence, betrayal and oppression, as baked into the origins of the universe? And to this question, Jeremiah says, this is how God would have you live. Plant gardens. Seek the peace of the city. Because you're garden people. Your story is not empire, but Eden. And in Eden, we find a God who creates the universe unrivaled, benevolent, and generous. So the Genesis story is different than the Enuma Elish because it tells us of a God who doesn't need to subjugate people, doesn't need to violently impose its will, but God instead creates out of goodness and love and generosity and creates humanity, all humanity, with the crown of glory and dignity, all bearing the image of God. So when we find ourselves in the midst of empire, we're still to live as Eden people, seeking the peace of the city. Yes, that city, the same one, that is ruled by the Enuma Elish, the same one who would try to convince us that what's needed is peace at the other end of a sword. Jesus echoes this when he stands on a hill and talks to the people, again, the people of God subjugated and oppressed by a different empire of its own day. And in the middle of Pax Romana, when Roman soldiers were called peacekeepers, charged with keeping law and order over its subject, subjugated people. Jesus says, blessed are you 
who don't just keep peace, but make peace and act flourishing, create goodness for all people. Because when you do that, you follow in the footsteps of your father, you will be called children of God. Children of God would have been a phrase reserved for royalty. Only the emperor was known as the son of Zeus, the son of God. In the ancient world, only the king was made in the image of God. This is a really, really convenient tool of emperor to rob all people of dignity and honor that God has crowned us with in the, in the garden. So Jesus says, blessed are you, those who create peace. Because peace isn't about the absence of conflict. Just like there is no such thing as cold, only the absence of heat. Or there is no such thing as darkness, only the absence of light. This is where shalom is different from Pax Romana. The biblical concept of shalom is a peace that is created when all things flourish, nothing missing, no one broken. And shalom is what we're invited into, to step out of empire into Eden, step out of Pax Romana, and into the wholeness, completeness, and flourishing. Before we can become peacemakers who bring shalom to a world so desperate for it, a world so heavy burdened with empire, a world so hungry for wholeness. We must heed the call of scripture. In the New Testament, we hear, let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your hearts. And I've always found that language kind of funny. You think peace would be something that you'd want and not something you'd have to submit to. But I wonder how many of us haven't actually considered the way that Enuma Elish has made its way into our own heart, the way we think the world still runs on violence and oppression, the way the empire has made its way into our own decision-making. So the first step towards this vision of shalom is to find our own lives, our own decisions, our own hearts, our own thoughts ruled by the peace of Christ, so much so that we can sleep in storms. To know that wholeness is available to us, that shalom and restoration can exist between us and God, us and ourselves, and us and our neighbors, and us and the world. When we find Jesus sleeping in storms, it's not because he doesn't care, but because he walks in that Eden story so much so that he embodies shalom wherever he goes. We also know that the peace of Jesus doesn't keep him from conflict as he rebukes the waves. Because of the Enuma Elish and other narratives of the day, the waters were seen as this turbulent and violent, spiritually dark place where the gods and other spiritual forces ruled. So you can understand why the disciples were so worried when they saw the water thrashing their boat against the waves. But where do we find Jesus? Sleeping in peace.
and confronting in peace. Because you can't make peace around you until peace has made its way in you, until you let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your hearts and minds. This is why Paul writes to the people of God in Philippi. Philippi was a colony that was set aside and reserved for retired Roman soldiers. The very people tasked with creating Pax Romana with their sword had now come to know the peace of Christ and laid down their sword for the cross. But they found themselves in the midst of a a city that was dominated by patriotic nationalism, where Caesar is Lord and law and order of Rome. And Rome first dominated the imaginations of their neighbors. So they found themselves oppressed and persecuted because they chose for Jesus to be Lord and for Shalom to be their peace, to lay themselves down, to lay down their rights and privileges, even as veterans and citizens of the empire, to love their neighbor and love in the way of Jesus. And it's in this moment that Paul tells them that when they choose this, that the peace of Christ will guard their hearts protect their standing, their safety, and their security, that they don't need to fight for it anymore. But it is untouchable when it is grounded in the Eden story, when it is protected by the Jesus that sleeps in storms. This is shalom. This is the peace that we're invited into. And the kind of peace that starts to show up in our lives when we keep in step with the Spirit. Here's the thing about peace. Peace is nothing broken and no one missing. Peace is not just something that you try to keep, but it's something that keeps you. Becoming a person of peace is about being in chaos without letting chaos be in you. And you'll know that this fruit is starting to show itself in your life when You no longer feel like everything is a minefield, every interaction carrying the potential to blow up your sense of self and safety. And your serenity is no longer up for negation or negotiation. Circumstances or committees of opinions no longer have a vote on your well-being. Your standing is secure and your worth is untouchable. Then you can actually be an instrument of peace for those embattled because you no longer have to fight for yourself. That fight has already been won. So today, may you find that Jesus doesn't flinch at the storm within you or around you. May you find that one day when ultimate peace comes to our lives and the lion lays down with the lamb and that part of you that you wish would just be gone makes its way into wholeness and fullness and restoration is ultimately the fruition of shalom. May you let the perplexing and mysterious peace of Christ take the driver's seat of your thoughts and your emotions, keeping you safe and secure. May you not settle for peace posting, peace commenting, peace opinioning, but compelled by love, follow in the path of the cross towards true peacemaking. And when you make peace, may it not be a chore or out of selfish ambition, But would it be like, take your kid to work day? Because you are a child of God. May you seek peace and pursue it within you, 
around you, and through you. And as you do, may you invite the world from empire to Eden, from Pax Romana into Shalom. May the peace that surpasses understanding guard you, protect you, and keep you more and more forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. I'm Jonathan, and this has been Epiphany.